Please open your Bible to 1 Timothy chapter 2 as we continue going verse by verse through this incredibly powerful letter. There are some people, believe it or not, they'll say things like, well, you know, no, I don't know. I don't want to go someplace where they go verse by verse. I want to hear a relevant message to my life. Well, it's, it's kind of unusual term because it's the eternal word of God. And, uh, you know, I'll take eternal over relevant any day. Now, the truth of it is, if you really understand it, that which is eternal is always relevant because relevant has to do with uh, something for today and that which is eternal is certainly for today. This is a kind of a mini-series within this great letter of 1 Timothy. Last week we did the role of men and women in the church. That was part one. Today is part two. And we are going to pick up, do a very quick review, just laying a groundwork. If you want the detail on these passages right at the beginning, I recommend you listen to last week's message on that. First Peter 2, verse 8, it says, I will therefore that men pray everywhere. Now this is right after the passage where it talks about, first of all, we need to be praying. We need to be praying for others. We need to be praying for souls and people to come to Christ and so forth. And then in verse 8, it says, I will therefore that men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting. Now, Paul speaks to men and then women in this passage, going to the right to the end of chapter 2, what we would call the end of chapter 2. And uh, what he has to say in the context is having to do with when we come together as a church. This is the thrust of the comments. When we come together to worship, when we come together to assemble as a ministry. And so from our perspective, you can basically look at whatever times we assemble officially as a church. That is what he's getting at here. And so number one, he addressed the men. He says, uh, and I believe the thought in verse eight is that we come to the Lord as men with purity of life and without hesitation. The idea of being having your hands lifted up is you have open hands. You have nothing to hide. We are transparent before God. We are open. And of course, he knows exactly how we are anyway, but that's for our benefit, certainly more than God's. Now, this is not an official posture for prayer. You don't have to pray with your hands open. But if somebody does that, uh, I'm not against that. It's just that this is custom of the day. And of course, a lot of this was carried over from the Old Testament. They did it the same then. It's nothing to forbid today. The only thing some people are uncomfortable with it because the first ones in modern times who were doing this were mainly charismatics and Pentecostals. And so people say, well, you know, if I, if I want to put my hands up, people are going to think I'm a weirdo. Uh, well, Maybe some people will. And if you're uncomfortable with that, then don't do it. So I'm not saying do it or don't do it. I don't do it, but that doesn't mean it's wrong. So just keep that in mind. But the point is the men. You notice the men are addressed first. Now there's a reason for that. Because we as men are to be loving leaders in our families and churches. Both of those are incredibly important. Not only leading, But you can lead and be a tyrant. You can lead and be an unreasonable militant, okay? And you're going to turn your family off and everybody else around you. No, a a loving leader, loving, I think a good word for that would be caring, a caring 
leader, somebody who cares about the people they're leading, and therefore you're careful to do it in a right way. A man of God will do that. That matters to him. He wants to not only lead, but he wants to lead properly in a right way. Now, there is tremendous failure on this in the body of Christ today. Men are not leading the way they should. They're either not leading, and then what they end up doing is, because there's a void, unfortunately, women come in, they say, well, listen, if you're not going to lead, I'm going to lead. Well, that's not a good situation either. The key is that everybody takes their proper place and functions according to the word of God. That is where the blessing comes, and that is where things work out properly. But again, there's tremendous failure in this today in the body of Christ. Women seem to have more interest in spiritual things oftentimes than men do. And that really, listen, both should be interested, but if anybody's interested, it ought to be the man. Because men are given a responsibility to lead in their homes, in their marriages, in their churches. And this is very, very important. It is no wonder though, that things are the way they are when we realize that Satan wants to undermine the plan of God and discourage the work of the local church and pervert, twist, distort the local church. You see, if he can keep the body of Christ away from fulfilling its mission, that plays into his desire, which is to see the church fail in reaching people for Christ and discipleship. And so he will work any way he can. So with men, he works in their lives to get them passive to where they don't lead the way they should. Guys, let me tell you something. Sometimes leadership is easy. Sometimes leadership is hard. But that doesn't take the responsibility away from us. Oh, it's so hard. Grow up. We need to grow up. We need to be men, loving leaders in the body. Then he addresses in 1 Timothy 2, the women, beginning in verse 9. And this is where today it becomes a hot issue, but that is unfortunate because the scriptures are clear. It says in 1 Timothy 2.9, In like manner also that women adorn themselves in modest apparel, with shamefacedness, sobriety, the idea is, is humbleness, not with broided hair, gold pearls, costly array, but which becometh women professing godliness with good works. It says, in like manner also. In other words, just as men are to be godly and transparent and right with the Lord in fellowship with him, so are the women. Right with the Lord in fellowship with him. There is no difference between men and women as far as our standing in Christ in eternity goes. Galatians says there's neither male nor female. That's how God sees us in eternity. Our position is in Christ. But in this world, God has a place for men. He has a place for women. There are clearly defined roles that God wants us to fulfill. There is a difference in their place in God's plan. Now, the main adornment of a Christian woman should be her godly character and her spirituality. Her strength is in her quiet wisdom and support. Let me say it again. A godly woman, her strength is in her quiet wisdom and support. She knows what God has for her. She's content with that, and she operates within that realm to fulfill her responsibility. 
And listen, folks, whenever we operate in the will of God, that's where the blessing is. Do we get that? Not outside of it. First Peter 3, verse 4 says, let it be, talking about the women, let it be the hidden man or the hidden person of the heart in that which is not corruptible, even the ornament of a meek and quiet spirit, which in the sight of God is of great price. Isn't it interesting? Paul and Peter both touch on, and it's almost like they're listening to each other on this, as far as uh, under inspiration of the Spirit, of course. Now here in 1 Timothy 2, verse 11, here's where there's a lot of uh, friction today, unfortunately. It says this, let the woman learn, again, this is when we come together, let the woman learn in silence, with all subjection, submission, but I suffer or I allow not a woman to teach nor to usurp authority over the man but to be in silence. Now, again, this is when we come together and those things are linked together. She is not to teach nor usurp authority over the man. It doesn't mean she can't teach, but she cannot teach men is what it's getting at. And of course, there's plenty of scriptures that bear uh, testimony that we're going to look at some just in just a couple minutes. But this is what God lays out right away. I allow not a woman to teach nor usurp authority over the man, but to be in silence. A woman is not supposed to usurp authority over the man. Now hold your place here, and I want you to go with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 14. You know, all kinds of criticisms and attacks have been leveled on the Apostle Paul with what he wrote here in 1 Timothy, okay? Now listen, folks, when a person attacks what Paul wrote, they're attacking God. Make no mistake about it. There's no distinction. Now why is that? Because the, the Bible is the Word of God, is the inspired Word of God. Every word was given by God Himself to the writers, and the writers wrote down exactly what God wanted them to write down. Therefore, when you criticize what Paul taught, you are criticizing what God gave. You are being God's critic, okay? Now listen, Christians, this is something to go to the mat for. When we attack the scriptures, we're attacking God. That is serious stuff. 1 Corinthians 14, 34. Paul, talking to the church at Corinth, which, by the way, was not a model church. (laughs) Believe it or not, there are churches today that actually have Corinth in their name. I'm thinking, whoa, did you read your Bible before you incorporated? Before you got your name? You know, Corinth Baptist Church. I'm thinking, whoa, that's not a church I want to go to. Anyway, he's writing, and of course, the book of 1 Corinthians, beginning in chapter 1, verse 9, all the way through the end of it, is basically, it's a book of rebuke and correction to a church of believers who are living like they were lost. So you don't go to 1 Corinthians and say, okay, I'm gonna, we're going to model our lives after the Corinthians. No, don't do that learn from their mistakes. And it says, because their church services had turned into a, basically a circus, Paul is talking to them about church order in 1 Corinthians chapter 14. That's the context. And he says in verse 34, let your women keep silence in the churches, for it is not permitted unto them to speak, but they are commanded to be under obedience as also saith the law. <laughs> 
You know, there are people who say, oh, let me just comment on this. There are people who say, well, you know, but that was that old mentality. That was under the law. We're under grace today. And I, wait, whoa, 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 whoa. When's the last time you read verse 34? Paul is saying, listen, this is consistent. What is for today is consistent. Yes, it was in the Old Testament, this concept, and it's still in the new. Why? Because folks, guess what? This goes all the way back to Genesis even before the dispensation of law. I'll show you what I'm getting at here in just a moment. Let your women keep silence in the churches, for it is not permitted unto them to speak, but they are commanded to be under obedience, as also saith the law. And if they will learn anything, let them ask their husbands at home, for it is a shame for women to speak in the church. Now again, the context is when we come together to worship. That is the context of 1 Corinthians 14. Now, going back to 1 Timothy 2, we're going to look at several truths from this passage, and this is absolutely vital to understand, all right? The first one is this. We glean from verse 12, well, verses 11 and 12, 1 Timothy 2, 11 and 12. Number one, women are not to teach men or usurp authority over the man. Women are not to teach men nor usurp authority over the man. Teaching is the main issue at hand here in the context. It means to have authority over or to exercise authority over the man. In other words, here we go. Are you ready? You got your seatbelt on? In other words, there are to be no women teachers or preachers when men are present in the meeting. Pretty quiet in here. But that's what it says. Now, what is going on today in churches is clearly forbidden according to Scripture. Don't say, well, but you know what? That's old thinking. People are coming around to getting a better understanding of things. Wait a minute. You're telling God that he's wrong, okay? He's made it clear. By the way, have you seen some of these women preachers on the Internet, TV? It is sickening, okay? It is sickening to see them in that environment instead of where God has called them to be. So number one, women are not to teach men or usurp authority over the man. And again, that means no women teachers or preachers when men are present. Secondly, God has ordained church leadership. God has ordained church leadership to godly men. Okay? God has ordained church leadership to godly men. This is defined clearly in Scripture. And I want you to see it for yourself. It's one thing for me to say it. It's another thing to see what God says. I can make mistakes. God makes no mistakes. So I want you to see this. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 10. Hold your place in 1 Timothy 2. We'll be back. Matthew chapter 10, we see as an example, we see the apostles. And you'll notice in Matthew 10, verses 2 through four, I'll just read it quickly. He commissioned all men. Okay? He commissioned all men. Now, the names of the 12 apostles are these. First, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother. James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother. Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas, Matthew, the publican. James, the son of Alphaeus, and Labaius, whose surname was Thaddeus. Simon the Canaanite and Judas Iscariot, who also betrayed him. Do you see any women in that list? 
No women. Why? Because that's not what God did. Okay? So number one, God has ordained church leadership to godly men. First, the apostles. The apostles were all men. Secondly, turn back to 1 Timothy chapter 3. 1 Timothy chapter 3. And here we go kind of where we're at today in our environment. Secondly, we see the elders in the local church. Now, there's different words for elders. There's elders, there's overseers. Bishop is used in the King James and so forth. I believe it's talking about the same office. These are the spiritual leaders in the church, okay? We have elders in our church. They're all men. But the elders in the local church, this is the way God set it up. And notice, you'll notice this as we read through, they're all men, okay? 1 Timothy 3.1, this is a true saying, if a man, if a man, and that's not a general term, it's masculine. If a man desire the office of a bishop, he desireth a good work. A bishop then must be blameless, watch this, the next phrase, the husband of one wife. Nowhere in scripture does it say the wife of one husband. The husband of one wife, vigilant, sober, of good behavior, given to hospitality, apt or able to teach. Turn over just a few pages to your right to Titus chapter 1. Here we see Paul instructing Titus, who was left on the Isle of Crete to set up churches, not only while the churches were there, but yes, to set them up, to bring order and organization to those churches. And he was very clear why he left them there. He left Titus on Crete to ordain elders in every city. That's what it said. And here in Titus 1 verse 6, it says, if any be blameless, there's the phrase again, look at it, the husband of one wife, having faithful children, not accused of riot or unruly. Let's go back to 1 Timothy 3. What about the deacons, the elders? You've got the elders, the bishops, the overseers. What about the deacons? I believe scripture teaches that the bishops, the elders, the overseers are those who take care of the spiritual needs of the church. The deacons were men elected or chosen to take care of the physical needs of the church. 1 Timothy 3, verse 12, let the deacons, and by the way, we'll be spending more time on chapter 3, next week, because we're ending chapter 2 today. It says in 1 Timothy 3, 12, let the deacons be, what? The husband of one wife, ruling their children and their own houses well. So here we have the principle. Let me show you the example of the first deacon board. The first set of deacons for the church. It happened to be where the church was born, which is Jerusalem. And I want you to go with me over to Acts chapter 6. And what was going on is the church was exploding in growth, okay? Now, they had kind of, they voluntarily collected all their things, and they're sharing everything they had. It's not communism because it was willing. They were willingly sharing it, okay? They were coming together, and they were sharing their goods with one another. Well, the church was getting so big that certain portions of the body of Christ, the people that were there, were being neglected in a daily distribution of the food. And so that came to the attention of the apostles. And they said, you know what, we need to come up with a solution for this. So they did. And here it is, Acts 6, 3. Wherefore, brethren, look ye out among you seven, what? Men, 
of honest report, full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. Seven men. Do you see it? How can we argue with it? Church leadership is ordained by God to be godly men. You might say, why? I know churches where there are mess and this or that. Yeah, I get that, okay? We're not saying they're perfect. What we're saying, though, is this. This is the plan of God. Now, can I also tell you this? If the church leadership is not godly, you need new church leadership. Because people are supposed to follow the leadership. If the leadership is not godly and spiritual, then you need new leadership. But if they are godly spiritual, they need to be followed. Listen to, you take the counsel and you listen to the leadership because they're in it not for themselves. They're in it for the glory of God. And that's the way it should be. Let's move on. Our third point today is this. When preaching and teaching is going on in the church service, women are to learn in silence. We see that in verse 12. But I suffer not a woman to teach, nor to usurp authority over the man, but to be in silence. Okay? Now, you take that. What do we have today? More and more. When I got saved, you almost never heard of the idea where you have a husband and a wife co-pastoring a church. That is becoming more and more common today. And I cannot prove this, but I think, I think, a lot of this started in the charismatic Pentecostal churches and the holiness churches. Churches today, many times, the husband and the wife are both pastors, or there's just, or there's just a woman pastor. Now that is becoming more and more common in what we would call the theological liberal churches today, such as the ECLA, okay, the Lutherans. You see a lot of women pastors in the Lutheran churches today, where women are leading. Folks, biblically speaking, is he going to say it? Yeah. It's wrong. It's wrong. And if you go to a church like that, you should leave that church because if you can't get something that simple right, you got no business being there as a Christian. Not only that, but contrast this, what it says there, when preaching and teaching is going on in the church service, women are to learn in silence. Now, by the way, if you have a woman preacher, how does that work? But anyways, not only that, but contrast this to many charismatic and Pentecostal churches today. The women are usually the ones who are the first to speak in so-called tongues. This is contradictory to his word because they're not supposed to, during the service, be saying anything. You say, where does it say that? Well, we've already looked at it once, but it is important to review it. Go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 14 in verse 34. Now, you know, I so appreciate, I just heard part of the Sunday school today with Andy. He did such an incredible job. But when he's talking about how he prepares, I love hearing stuff like that. Maybe it's the pastor in me. I don't know. I just eat that stuff up. Oh, how do you do it? How do you do it? What's your, what's your, this? Well, then I'm, I'm listening to him and he's talking about, and then he was talking about commentaries and how the commentaries don't get, there are certain things where they're just off. I mean, they're just, they just miss it. Now, these are mortals Look at a commentary as a man's opinion. It's not scripture. Okay, do we get that? That's how you need to see it. Now, you know, what was it, last year or the year before I did a, I can't keep track of time, I did a series, Trojan Horses in the Church. 
And I talked about study Bibles. And I think recently I talked about it on a Wednesday night too. And I talked about how that there's a lot of false teaching going out in study Bibles today because the notes are on the same page as the text. And so this morning I was just putzing around and meditating on my message and saying, oh, I wonder, I wonder what some of my study tools have to say in 1 Corinthians chapter 14. And, and that might have been in, in 1 Timothy 2, too. So one of the resources I went to, because it's more contemporary, I figured this will be interesting. Now, sometimes they really nail it good, and sometimes it's like, whoo, that's out there. Life Application Study Bible. Now, they've had several generations of it. The one I have, I looked. I'll tell you, folks, they just tried to dance and dance and dance around this text in 1 Corinthians, you know, basically saying, well, it really doesn't mean that. It means this or that, you know. I've heard this. People say, well, the problem in 1 Corinthians 14, the reason Paul said, let your women keep silence in the churches, was because the Corinthian church was out of control. But he didn't mean all churches. He's just talking about their church until they got order back. There's a problem. In the first line of 1 Corinthians 14, verse 34, it doesn't say church. It says what? Churches, plural. Now, folks, not only that, but of course, this goes hand in hand with what we see in 1 Timothy 2. So it is an issue for all the churches. It is the way God has ordained it. The men are supposed to lead, and of course, the women are supposed to learn. And I'll say more about the ministry of women in just a few minutes, but please hold on. It's 1 Corinthians 14, 34. Let your women keep silence in the churches, not just in Corinth, for it is not permitted unto them to speak, but they are commanded to be under obedience, as also saith the law. Okay, so let's go back to 1 Timothy chapter 2. Actually, on your way back to 1 Timothy 2, or over, I should say, go with me to Titus chapter 2. Now, which leads us to our fourth point, and it is this. We know from other scriptures that it is permitted for women to teach other women and children. They are permitted to teach other women and children. Where do I find that? Titus chapter 2 and verse 3. It says, The aged women, likewise, that they be in behavior as becometh holiness, not false accusers, not given to much wine, teachers of good things, number 4, verse 4, that they may teach the young women to be sober, to love their husbands, to love their children, to be discreet, chaste, keepers at home, good, obedient to their own husbands, that the word of God be not blasphemed. So women have a responsibility to pass down godly principles of motherhood and the home and femininity and to pass these things down to the next generations so their ministry is geared towards other women and the children. It's not geared to men. I say, well, boy, my husband could learn a few things. Well, let, me, let me tell you this. So could you. And yes, he could learn some things because we're not perfect. But God has given us that which is. And that is what we are to strive for and to follow his plan. You don't violate the plan of God because man fails at fulfilling it. We stay with the plan of God because that's the ideal. That is the target is to follow God. Scripture. Now let's go back to 1 Timothy 2 
in verse 12 again, but I suffer or I allow not a woman to teach nor to usurp authority over the man, those are linked, but to be in silence. Now the question comes up by some and there's nothing wrong with it. Why would it be this way? Why would it be this way? Well, there's two reasons given right in the text and I want us to focus on them today. Very important that we zero in, okay? The first one is this, 1 Timothy 2, verse 13. For Adam was first formed, and then Eve. I say, so? Listen, folks, let's break this down. We know from Scripture, a woman's purpose from the beginning was to be a role of support, not leadership. A woman's purpose from God's creating her from the beginning, going back to Genesis, was to be a role of support, not leadership. God knows what he is doing, and to stray from it creates all kinds of new problems. I want you to see it with your own eyes. Turn with me. Hold your place here. Turn with me to Genesis chapter 2. Let's go back to the beginning. So much is explained in Genesis 1 through 11. So much is explained. That is a foundation for everything. Genesis 2 and verse 18, here is Adam. Adam has been created, but he doesn't have his wife yet. And it says in Genesis chapter 2, verse 18, and the Lord God said, it is not good that the man should be alone. Let me get a little facetious here. I can't help it. Well, I could, but I think you'll appreciate it. And the Lord God said, man is going to blow it. So he needs a boss. It's not what it says. No, it is not good that man should be alone. Thank you. You appreciated that. Thank you. It is not good that man should be alone. I will make him and help meet for him. Or put in modern terms, a helper fit or suited for him. It's not good that man should be alone. I'm going to make him a helper just right for him. Somebody who is going to help him fulfill his responsibility. An assistant, if you will. A helper. Okay? 1 Corinthians 11, verses 8 and 9, says same idea. For the man is not of the woman, but the woman is of the man. Neither was the man created for the woman, but the woman for the man. Now, hopefully you're not here today saying, well, I don't like that. It doesn't matter. Well, let me put it this way. It does matter. But God is not going to change. It is up for us to change, okay? The wise man adjusts himself to the Bible. The foolish man adjusts the Bible to himself. It is for us to change. Now back to 1 Timothy 2. So we see the first reason given is for Adam was first formed, then Eve. In other words, the divine order is the husband, and then his wife is there, to support him and to help him fulfill his God-given responsibilities. Not to boss him, not to nag him, but to help him. 1 Timothy 2.14. And Adam, here's the second reason, Adam was not deceived, but the woman being deceived was in the transgression. What is that saying? When a woman strays from her role in God's plan, she opens herself up to further being deceived by Satan. Do you see it? If her place is in submission and a helper position under her husband, when she gets out from under that, that shows she's already been deceived. 
because she doesn't believe what God says. What that leads to is all kinds of other problems. This is one reason why she should not be teaching men in the local church, because if she can't be in submission to her husband and to the leadership, that's a problem, and you don't want somebody with a problem teaching the church. This is how this fits together. When a woman strays from her role in God's plan, she opens herself up to further being deceived by Satan. It is further in the sense that she has already strayed by taking the leadership role. So a woman who's done that, we should be suspect of anything they have to say because they're out of line. I know this doesn't sit well with some people. It doesn't matter, okay? We just have to believe what God says. So what do you end up with? Well, can I tell you this? You end up with all kinds of false doctrine. Did you know Seventh-day Adventist was started by a woman? Ellen G. White? It's a cult. She was a prophetess. Theosophy, another cult. Mrs. Blavatsky and Annie Besant, I think is the name under that. Then there's Spiritism, the Fox Sisters. I don't know if she's any relation to Fox News or not. Uh, Spiritism, the Fox Sisters, and the thousands of wicked and often immoral women, mediums. Then there's Christian science, Christian science, which is neither Christian nor scientific. Mary Baker Eddy, who had a very sordid past in life, might say, what about today? Well, number one, do you need more than that? We really don't, but let's do some contemporary theology this morning. Some people won't like this. I don't think we have anybody in the church who'll have a problem. Paula White, Paula White. You know the one, the blonde spiritual advisor to former President Trump? Disaster, folks. Number one, she shouldn't be a preacher because it's contrary to Scripture. Number two, she preaches a prosperity gospel and all kinds of unusual things coupled with that. If you've never seen her preach, go to YouTube and watch. I mean, it's just... Anyway, Paula White, Joyce Meyer. Joyce Meyer is another one. Let me tell you something. Have you ever looked at their audiences in their churches or conferences that they have? Yeah, it's mostly women, but there are men there. Joyce Meyer's husband travels with her, goes everywhere, and he does a lot of the background organization and stuff for her. He sits on the front row while his wife goes back and forth preaching, preaching, and he sits. He's a man, and he's sitting on the front row. Doesn't that bother you? It bothers me. Beth Moore, very contemporary, very popular, was Southern Baptist. She's left the Southern Baptist Convention now. Now, she didn't used to preach in churches. Guess what she's doing now? Preaching in churches. You know, years ago, a lot of you probably been to the Christian, it used to be the Lifeway Christian store down in Arbor Hills, down in uh, Maple Grove. And you go in that place, and for years, you walk through, and of course, that place, all kinds of Christian material and books and curriculum and all these kind of stuff. By far, in that store, the biggest area of the store dedicated to any person was Beth Moore in that store. Her books, her curriculum, all of her material was there. Is there any wonder, by the way, she's into all kinds of weird theology now. She's into contemplative theology. Okay, number one, she's into false doctrine by the very fact that she's preaching in churches. But it's going on. Oh, yeah, but she's such a good speaker. She's captivated and all that. Folks, that's all way in the back seat. Okay? 
that's not priority. Well, I like the way she does her hair and makeup and all that. Let, let me tell you something. Doesn't matter. Back to 1 Timothy 2. Verse 14 again, and Adam was not deceived, but the woman being deceived was in a transgression. Now verse 15, notwithstanding, she shall be saved in childbearing if they continue in faith and charity and holiness with sobriety. You notice what a woman needs to do? She needs to continue in faith, in charity, which is love, holiness with sobriety, sound mindedness. And if she has a sound biblical mind, she will follow God's pattern for her. And it says she shall be saved. Okay. It says in childbearing, if they can do, what is this talking about? There's a lot of different interpretations. I'll tell you what I believe is what it's talking about. Now, of course, we know that the word saved here means delivered. I don't think it's talking about getting to heaven salvation. We'll talk about that in just a minute. But saved here, I think what it's saying is this. Her life will be delivered through fulfilling her role as a wife, as a mother, as a supporter. Fulfilling her role as helper. God will deliver her life from destruction because she will be living the life God has called her to. Instead of one that is out of step with Scripture. A woman may, may not have the right to the pulpit, but she has a huge ministry and opportunity in the life of her husband, her children. And can I tell you this, folks? Yes, even the church. Let me tell you something. One of the greatest assets we have in this local church are the women in our church. They're a huge blessing, but only in their place. Only where God wants them to be, just like the men, okay? So let's keep the order right, but let's all serve the Lord together in love and harmony as we should, understanding God's plan is best. God makes no mistakes. And when we do, just by the way, just like the women, if I fulfill the will of God for my life, my life will be delivered from destruction. And it's same for you, ladies. You fulfill the role God has given you, which is one of support. And that takes great wisdom, great self-control, knowledge, love, care, patience. Yeah, all of that. We all get it. You fulfill your role and God's going to use you and honor you and bless you in a special way. But it's only in your proper role. And so your life can be delivered. So what do we do? Well, First, we who are men need to step up and be the spiritual leaders God has called us to be. We need to step up and be the spiritual leaders God has called us to be. When men do what they're supposed to do, there's no need for women to try to get in to those things. Secondly, we need women to be the wise supporters and helpers that are needed in the work of God in our families, in our churches, and in the world. Ladies, you have a profound effect on other people. And that supportive role is a blessed, blessed one. All right? Now let's go over to Romans chapter 5. Perhaps you're hearing this and you might say, you know, I am so out of whack as a person. Listen, all this stuff in one service, this can kind of be exhausting, especially if you've never heard it. But this is scripture. Can I tell you the most important thing of all is for you to know where you're going when you die. Nothing more important than that. And God has provided you a home in heaven as a gift. But you have to believe something 
to receive the gift. And I want you to understand it today. It's something we call the gospel. Let me explain it to you. It says in Romans 5, verse 8, it says, But God commendeth or displayed his love towards us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Why do we need him to die for us? Because we're sinners. Why does that make it to where he has to die for us? Okay, here you go. This hand representing you and me. I'm going to let my wallet represent our sin. Here we are. We're all sinners. The Bible tells us that God loves us, but God hates our sin. It is an abomination to him. It is against his nature. God hates our sin. See, sin, among other things, separates us from God. You cannot get to heaven with even one sin. Not only that, but God says this, because we've sinned, there's a penalty that goes with that. And he says the wages of sin is death. Death does not just mean physical death. It means being separated from God forever in hell. Now, that's an awful truth, but it is the truth. In other words, if I die with my sin, I'll spend forever in hell. God doesn't want that for us. Now, most of your religions say, well, the way you take care of your sin problem is by doing good deeds, but doing good deeds doesn't take it away. Death is the only payment. Going to church, being baptized, giving money, behaving yourself, making promises with God, reading a Bible, none of these things will save you. The only thing that will keep you from spending forever in hell is some way to get rid of your sin before you die. Well, guess what? That's the good news. God so loved us that he himself came to our rescue to be our Savior. In this hand, representing the Lord Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, he came into the world when he went to the cross. All the sin that you've ever done or till the sin that you do to the day you die. He came and he took it all upon himself and he made the payment for that. So you don't have to, so I don't have to. He made it, he made the payment. If he paid for it, well, why do I have to pay for it? I don't. He was buried, he rose from the grave and he says this, if I will simply believe that he did that for me, I put my faith in him that he did that for me. He will give me the very moment I trust in him that he did that for me, everlasting life. My sin is taken away. In other words, the payment he made is good on my behalf. The sin is taken away. I'm forgiven. He gives me everlasting life. Look at it, John 3.16. It says this, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever... It's open to anyone, no matter what you've done, that whosoever believeth in him, you put in your faith in him, two promises, should not perish, that means go to hell, but have everlasting life. When you believe, the payment he made is good on your behalf, all your sin is taken away. If that is true, then what is there to send you to hell? Nothing. The wages of sin is death. Oh, but wait a minute, Jesus did that for me. So I have no more payment to make for my sin. He did it for me. I've accepted the payment he made. God put that to my account. I can't go to hell. Not only that, should not perish, but have what? Everlasting life. So I'm not only delivered from there, I'm delivered to there. So I ask you today, if you've never put your faith in Jesus Christ as your Savior, would you do that? All he's asking you is to believe he made the payment 
for your sin. And when you put your faith in him as your savior, he'll give you everlasting life. Well, friends, that concludes this edition of Voice of Assurance. Thanks so much for listening. And would you share this ministry with a friend? To contact us or learn more about our ministry, please visit www.northlandchurch.com. Your prayers and support for this ministry are greatly appreciated. Thank you so much, and God bless you.